I'll be reading our first scripture passage today uh, in the New International Version in your pew books, pew Bibles, it's page 1000. I absolutely love this story from Luke 7. The kind of typical images we see here, these kind of archetypes of the way people can approach Jesus. It seems to me that religious people in this story can be kind of twitchy and kind of judgmental. And obviously here we, we consider ourselves as religious people. Do we have to kind of wear that? Are we sometimes too twitchy and too judgmental with folks out there? This other beautiful image of a, of a sinner approaching Jesus, and Jesus completely comfortable with uh, a sinner embracing him when they acknowledge who he is. It's just a beautiful picture. Let's read this story together from Luke 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let us pray. Lord, I would pray for our remainder of our time together as we consider uh, the truth of you loving us. Please be with Mark. Uh, inspire him, give him strength of voice, of mind, in his spirit. We thank you for his diligence in studying the word to share it with us. Lord, we know your word has much to share for us. We, lo we long to be your disciples. We long to hear from you this morning. Lord, we need to change each of us. Lord, if we are that person, the twitchy Pharisee judging others, Lord, help us to recover, help us to know that we need to be forgiven and recover from that mindset. And Lord, if we are a person stuck in sin, help remind us that you welcome our embrace when we acknowledge and love you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
I believe there are many Christians among us. True Christians, bought by the blood of Jesus, reborn by the Spirit of God, who believe and therefore know that God loves the world, God loves people in a unique way and for special reasons, and that God loves us individually, but maybe never have felt loved by God themselves, ourselves. We may believe and therefore know that we have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ because that's what the Bible says, but we may still not have a real and personal relationship of love with God in Christ Jesus, one that we can feel and trust. On the other hand, there may be others of us, true Christians too, who sincerely feel loved by God in Christ Jesus, perhaps because in personality we tend more toward the emotional anyway, but we may not feel worthy of God's love. We just can't believe it for ourselves. Consequently, we may suffer from a kind of imposter syndrome that it doesn't apply to us somehow, that we are the exception to the rule of faith and grace and mercy and salvation. Now, imposter syndrome is defined as the persistent inability, that means we can't, the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. Now, of course, in the case of the biblical Christian faith and life, in the case of the love of God in Christ Jesus, we know that we're not worthy of God's love. God loves us because of something in Him, not because of something in us. We also don't get it through achievement. We didn't and we can't earn God's grace. Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ could do that. Only He could do that for us. We know we're not worthy of God's love and grace. We know we can't earn God's love or His grace through achievement, religious or otherwise. It wouldn't be either love or grace if we were worthy of it or we could earn it. Just keep in mind, as a very close example, we don't love our kids because they earned our love, do we? We know this. We believe this. We teach this. And we preach this. This, in fact, is the gospel. Nevertheless, it may be hard for us to know for ourselves. It may be hard for us to believe for ourselves. It, it, it may be hard for us to accept that God in Christ Jesus loves me, that he loves you, that he loves us, that God in Christ Jesus died and was raised for me.
And because we either don't know or we don't feel God's love in His grace, though we do believe what the Bible says about God's love in Christ Jesus as a matter of faith or of doctrine, we're never able to move into significant spiritual growth, Christian maturity, or personal holiness. And so we may not be able to get beyond the feeling or sentiment of a relationship with God in Christ Jesus to contribute meaningfully to someone else's life or to the life and ministry of Jesus' church, which we are a part of, or to be healed from what ails us. Most, if not all of us, tend to fall into one or the other of these two categories, knowing but not feeling, feeling but never really settled. We may even fall to one side for a time and then to the other, knowing, not knowing, feeling, not feeling, perhaps in exceptionally dry times, not knowing or feeling that God loves us. Forever, it would seem to be the spiritual imposter. Be that as it may, when we're on the one side, the other, or neither, we miss out on significant aspects of the real thing, or at least the fuller extent of God's love in Christ Jesus. We're saved. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but we're not free. We're not free to be who God has intended for us to be. We're not free to grow in love and grace. We're not free from hindrances of our past. We're not free to be spiritually fruitful. We're not free to teach, lead, and disciple others because we're still focused in on ourselves. Let's review the central truth of our message for this morning that I read for you at the beginning of our service. It's printed there for you on the inside upper left-hand corner of your bulletin. Since I read it uh, once already, we'll just uh, read it one more time. Here it is. Knowing, believing in, and experiencing God's love in Christ Jesus for us evokes reciprocal expressions. That means to each other, back and forth. Not just one way, but both ways or always. Knowing, believing in, and experiencing God's love in Christ Jesus for us evokes reciprocal expressions of love and gratitude in and from us that further testify to his, to God's, sovereign goodness and grace. So before we continue on to apply the text to our lives, let's, let's pray briefly together. God, our Father, we pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would move among us, that your Holy Spirit would open up our minds and our hearts to know and feel you, to have an experience of God, with God, for God, in Christ Jesus. That testifies to the truth of your word and the love of our Father and the power of his Son and the presence of the Holy Spirit to know you 
to be known and to know each other. Help us to know what it is, what it's like, what it should be, to know that we are loved, to feel that we are loved, to have an experience of love with the one true and living God in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray, amen. In this third message of four in our series on God's love, I'd like to fuse our two sermons from last week and the week before, both on God's love in Christ Jesus. So this, this morning's message will be more of a bridge between what we've done the last two weeks and what we will do next week. Next week will, will be the culmination. And it should set us up well, that is, this message should set us up well for next week's answer to the question, how can we know, feel, and experience God's love? Over the last two Sundays, we've looked at the love of God in Christ Jesus for the world. The cosmos is what, it, what the text says in John chapter 3. All creation, in other words, including his special love and unique purpose for human beings. We are part of his creation but we are a unique uh, aspect of his creation and have unique, a unique design and unique purpose in his creation, namely that we would image God and represent him on the earth. And God's great love for the world, again, the cosmos moved him to send his one and only son to give himself up, that the world, the cosmos, would, be, would not be condemned, including whoever believes in God in Christ Jesus, so that he or she or they would not perish but have eternal life. That was Sunday number one. We also looked at the love of God in Christ Jesus for human beings, both in general and most especially his chosen people, first Israel and then, up until now, the church in particular. We further saw that God's great love for us moved him and moves him still to act out of his sovereign goodness and grace on our behalf in healings, in acts of care and comfort and mercy, even in raising from the dead and only son of a grieving widow, apparently in the moment and on the spot. In those moving vignettes, Jesus acted out his great compassion for the suffering, for the grieving, for the oppressed, and he still does. But mark this, in addition to the finished work that he's already done at the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus Christ most often uses us, his people, the church, to extend to others his care, his compassion, and his love today. This is the spirit-revealed testimony and instruction of the rest of the New Testament. We love because God in Christ Jesus first loved us, and if we are in Christ, we are to love each other and our neighbors as God in Christ has loved us. That's 1 John, and you can really take that from chapter 1, 3, and 4, really the whole book of 1 John. And the first Sunday in this series, we emphasize the beginning of understanding and knowing that God in Christ Jesus loves us. 
the second Sunday, last Sunday, we began to look at how we can feel God's love for us, knowing and feeling God's love fused to make a whole. Perhaps a better, more practical, and more helpful way to understand this knowing and feeling God's love is that it's manifested for us and in us. Knowing and feeling God's love is manifested among us and through us as an eternal experience of God's love in Christ Jesus. Psychologists often think and talk in terms of the connection between our knowing and our doing. In fact, one of the most helpful methods of counseling or therapy ever devised is called cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive, knowing or understanding, behavioral, doing or living, therapy, which we all need. And there's that aspect of our Christian faith, too, of course. Thinking and understanding as Christians, doing and living as Christians, with the Bible as our authority for, for both. What we do and how we live is intimately connected to what we believe and why we believe it. And these days, we're emphasizing a related pairing, which is knowing and feeling God's love for us in Christ Jesus. And combining these two, knowing and feeling, we get an experience of the Christian faith. Now, as I often mention, and as recently as last Sunday, none of this ever happens apart from the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes clear that the Holy Spirit is God's love in us, among us, and through us, every bit as truly as Jesus Christ is God's word and God's love in the flesh. If the one true and living God is triune, a trinity composed of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and He is, and if the one true and living God is love, and He is, 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16, then every aspect of God, let me put it another way, every person of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is love. And God has given us the capacity to know His love by the Holy Spirit, to perceive or feel His love also by the Holy Spirit, which results in a real and personal experience of God and God's love also by the Holy Spirit. This is the biblical Christian life by faith. And these vital aspects of a true biblical Christian faith, knowing God's love, feeling God's love, create for us and in us, among us and through us, an experience of God and of God's love. This is the fullest biblical Christian life and ministry. We must have both knowing and feeling, and they result in an experience and doing. And this is the fullest biblical Christian life and ministry, and it results in great testimony to the sovereign goodness and grace of this one true and living God and fruitful lives and ministries for us all. My suggestion through this series is that knowing God loves us and feeling God loving us precede an experience of God's love 
and his grace in Christ Jesus that results in a relationship with him that is real and personal. Now, if that sounds a bit familiar, it should. It's almost a word-for-word -word restatement of the central thesis of the discipleship study I've spoken to you about many times, experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. It's also reflected in our passage this morning. So let's look at a specific example of God's love, compassion, and mercy as reflected in the response of the one loved by Jesus in a way that she'd never experienced before. Turn back with me now to the Gospel of Luke, if you're not there already, chapter 7. I'd like to pick up the story where Neil began it in verse 36. That's Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. And as we are reading the text here this morning, I'd like for us to begin with this thought. That was a perfect segue, Neil, to the first point that you gave for us. The love of God in Christ Jesus is equally accessible, equally accessible to the religiously unacceptable and outcast as to the religiously acceptable and accepted. The love of God in Christ Jesus is equally accessible to the religiously unacceptable and outcast as to the religiously acceptable and accepted. This is a consistent known aspect of Jesus' public ministry, but the point in having it recorded for us here and elsewhere is not merely to highlight it as an historically consistent aspect of Jesus' character and ministry. It's to teach us something real and true about his character and his heart. His consistent teaching and practicing what he taught, that we, his disciples, must adopt as our own. Namely, that sinners are found both inside and outside the congregation of the religious, and equally so. Whether we are of the accepted and acceptable crowd, or the unfit and the marginalized, we all are equally in need of what Jesus came to offer which is himself, of course. Jesus came to offer himself, not a religious status or standing. So this is very important. Becoming or being religious does not inoculate us from being sinners or from sin. Being irreligious doesn't disqualify us either. Jesus came equally for both the religious and the irreligious, and we all need what he offers. So let's look at the text from verse 36 to verse 40. One of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. 
Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. So the thing I want us to understand and I want us to remember from this text is that the love of God in Christ Jesus is equally accessible to the religiously unacceptable and the religiously outcast and as to the religiously acceptable and accepted. Jesus offers himself to both. And this passage is a bit challenging to teach and to preach due to the way our narrator Luke goes back and forth from Jesus' host, the Pharisee, to Jesus, to the woman, and back to Jesus and the host. Um, and note also that Jesus was invited by the Pharisee and he went. So when we talk about accessibility, he went to the Pharisee's house having been invited by him. He could have said, no, you're unclean, which he was. He was a sinner. He was full of religious pride. And Jesus sat with him, ate with him, had a meal with him. The woman enters uninvited. And Jesus also was accessible to her. He didn't say, get your hands off of me. Get away from me, you unclean woman, person. He was accessible to both. Question, is that true for us? What I mean is, are we accessible to whomever come across our path? Are we accessible to whomever the Lord would bring into our midst, even here on a Sunday morning? This is the love of God in us by the Holy Spirit that must be manifested, must be demonstrated, must be acted upon in real time, in real life. The love of God in Christ Jesus is equally accessible to the religiously unacceptable and outcast as to the religiously acceptable and accepted. That's number one. Number two, think about this. It's shorter. The love of God in Christ Jesus is grace-based. Religion is works-based. The love of God in Christ Jesus is grace-based. Religion is works-based. Listen to me now. I'm, I'm not going to say anything more important than this this morning. Here it is. Because of the ever-present reality of our great and growing sin, I'm talking to us. I'm talking about me. Because of the ever-present reality of our great and growing sin, our indebtedness to God, to the one true, living, righteous, just, and holy God, only increases all the time forever. We can never catch up to it. I'm going to say it one more time. Because of the ever-present reality of our great and growing sin, 
Our indebtedness to the one true, living, righteous, just, and holy God only increases all the time, forever, just like every human being who ever walked the earth, except one. This is why only Jesus' infinite sacrifice of himself for us provides sufficient payment, which is why we must depend on God's grace and love in Christ Jesus rather than our own works, rather than our religion, because we cannot repay it, because our indebtedness only increases all the time forever. Verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he, Jesus, said to him, the Pharisee, you have judged rightly. The subtext, however, is that we are all indebted to God forever increasingly. So there's a sense in which there's no distinction between these two debtors. They both owe more than they could ever repay and both of them have what they owed forgiven, canceled. There's a third uh, thing that I think that we can process here this morning from this passage. Here it is, recognizing and receiving. Both are necessary. Recognizing and receiving the grace-based love of God in Christ Jesus results in genuine, eternal, and testifying gratitude and reciprocal love for God in Christ Jesus. We have recognized and received his love, and we give back gratitude and reciprocal love for him. Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16 puts it this way. Through Christ, it actually says through him, but the him is Christ. Through Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I believe what we see here in the text with the grateful weeping woman is an example of what truly offering up a sacrifice of praise to God in Christ Jesus might look like and might actually be like. No one would ever question her sincerity. This is not a religious put on. This is a deeply felt gratitude and reciprocal love. Here's a question. Is this a little too intimate for us? A little too touchy? A little too personal? A little too extravagant for us as it was for the Pharisee? We might need to think carefully about that. Are we too religious for this response? I, I mean her response to Jesus. Weeping on our knees, tears wetting the feet of Jesus. 
clearly this is not the first time Jesus and this woman had met. Many scholars believe this is likely Mary Magdalene after Jesus delivered her from seven, seven unclean spirits. The text doesn't offer that kind of detail. It does offer a profound and powerful picture of what reciprocal love looks like, what gratitude looks like, and what God's grace can do in the life, the well-being, the restoration, and the eternal freedom of a forgiven person. Let's look at Jesus' response to her from verse 43. 44, I mean. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her hair, with her tears, and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. As we close, here's a summary statement for this message as we look forward to next Sunday, and I hope you'll be able to be with us one way or the other, live stream or here in person. It's number four if you're keeping count. It's the longest one, so I'll do it a couple of times. The real, experienced, holy, and grace-based love of God in Christ Jesus. The real, experienced, holy, and grace-based love of God in Christ Jesus confounds, even angers, the religious, but saves and frees the humble and the needy to love as Christ loved, and perhaps even to give to others as he gave to us, for us, which was, of course, himself. One more time. The real, experienced, holy, and grace-based love of God in Christ Jesus confounds, even angers the religious, but saves and frees the humble and the needy to love as Christ loved, and perhaps even to give to others as he gave to us, for us, which was, of course, himself. Verses 48 and 50. And Jesus, and he, Jesus, said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Finally, I wanted us to see how this might look or what this might sound like in the context of the church and a sermon, a brief one, by the way, in Acts chapter 10. So turn there with me, Acts chapter 10. It's on page 1067 of your Pew Bibles, and this will conclude with this. This is um, Peter's uh, sermon, if we can put it that way, his preaching after good news has come to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 34. 
So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right, watch this now, is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God appointed, or anointed, rather, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I want you to notice that both Luke chapter 7 and verse 50 comports very closely with Acts chapter 10, verse 43. In fact, they end in exactly the same place. She received forgiveness and peace. Here it says, everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the work that we do here in the, in the congregation. This is the work that we do when we preach and teach and lead. This is the result that we're looking for. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this lesson that we are not worthy, we cannot earn the love of God in Christ, and yet you are accessible to us all. Our debt could never be paid by anything that we could do, even offering up our lives. And in fact, our debt continues to increase all the time forever. And Jesus paid it all. Help us, Lord, to be more like this humble, grateful, emotionally honest woman in Luke chapter 7, whether she's Mary Magdalene or, or not. She gives us a picture of what reciprocal love and gratitude as much as she possibly could give, looks like. And help us not to be like the Pharisee. We don't want to be too tough on him because we probably suffer from the same maladies that he did. But the contrast could not be missed. And Jesus' words concerning who in this picture was forgiven at this time and who can have peace with God is clear. Help us to exchange our religion for your grace, Lord.
In Jesus' name, amen.